Welcome to Powered by Her, exploring the stories of how area women power their business. Here, from the growing network of female entrepreneurs of the Upper Cumberland, with your host Tiffany Anton, Director of Biz Foundry. Powered by Her starts now. Hello, welcome to Powered by Her. I'm Tiffany Anton with the Biz Foundry, and I have probably one of my fangirl a little bit over you. You know this. Um, but I have Booth Andrews in today, and this is probably, um, like I said, a, a fangirl thing for me, so I'm glad to have you here. Um, I'm going to kind of read Booth's bio, and then we're going to get right into this. So Booth Andrews is a public speaker, entrepreneur, lawyer, strategist, business mentor, and consultant who holds a vision for what people, organizations, and communities can be. She is the founder and CEO of the Booth Andrews Company, LLC, which creates trauma-informed products, services, and solutions to address mental health and burnout crisis, which is something we all need. Booth is of counsel at Morehouse Legal Group, where she works primarily with startups and not-for-profit organizations, co-founder of Our Table LLC, an organization focused on making real estate investment opportunities available to a broad base of women while improving the community, co-founder of Blend Clever LLC, the perfect blend of business and DIY legal, a trainer and consultant for the Alliance for Better Nonprofits, and a trainer and leader of the Women in Entrepreneurship Knoxville Group, a program of Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. Hi, Booth. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Good. That was a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. It's that, so many words. So many words. So much stuff. Um, so you are a supporter of women. Yes. And women mental health, especially. Absolutely. So um, this is kind of right in the middle of the busy, stressful season of everyone's life um, in, in the... We have no idea. I was going to say the end or middle of a hard year or time season, but we have no idea where we're at in the season of the pandemic. And yes, we uh, are. We are in a season of uncertainty. Right. So um, you and, and, and like I said, you're you're in from Knoxville. So a lot of people I'm powered by her are local are, are here. Um, but I met you at an entrepreneurship conference in Nashville. Um, and I met you in a, in a very hard season of my life. Personally, I was in the middle of a divorce and I heard you speak and I literally cried the, pretty much the whole time. And, um, I'm with all these, uh, uh, women entrepreneurs who you always feel like you have to be real strong and real, um, just a, a strong, right. bad, um, but woman. And so, <laughs> uh, it's hard to like kind of be vulnerable sometimes Yes, and not, not feel weak. Yes. So we were, we were conditioned, right, to be thinking all the time about what everybody else is thinking about us. And as women, I think at least the, the generation that I grew up in, we were given permission to go to the workplace. We were not given permission to lay anything else down. And so we are conditioned to behave as if we're superheroes um, and we think that's what everybody expects of us. <laughs> and what we actually all really need is permission to be human. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and and as women, right, like I think as women, we we think human means something different than what it does for a man. Right. Absolutely. And so we don't allow ourselves that, you know, OK, well, I, I can drop that off and, and not on that expectation. Um, right. We were taught to embrace um, 
essentially male role models. I mean, I think particularly when I, you know, entered the business world in the late nineties, um, you know, the most successful women at that time were the ones who were emulating male qualities. And so we have, instead of learning to embrace the beauty that comes with all of the superpowers that we do actually have as women, we've been taught to take some of those superpowers and really shove them aside um, because we're afraid they're going to be judged as weak or overly emotional or um, that our ideas are less legitimate. And, and in some, and w- with valid experiences, right? There are experiences that have continued to condition us to behave in a certain way. And at this point in my life and based on the journey that I've been on and the work that I try to do with, with women and women entrepreneurs and, and mothers is really about giving us permission to return to the beauty that we got here with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of my favorite, you know, authors and leaders are talking about things like, who were you before the world told you who to be? Because you were perfect. So let's let's start there. Okay. I mean, or back up there. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you do have a connection to the Upper Cumberland region. So my connection is that my father's family is, uh, and my father is from Sparta, Tennessee. And so, so I still have some family in this area, um, some aunts and uncles and cousins. And we came to Sparta, you know, at least once a year, every Christmas. Um, but my father, George Andrews, um, was the son of Doc, who we call Doc Andrews, who was the family physician essentially in Sparta, Tennessee. Uh, and then my father became a physician and ultimately ended up in Nashville. And so, and, and so is that where you grew up as the Nashville area? I did. I grew up, um, spent all of my life in Nashville until I went to the University of Tennessee for college and I never left Knoxville. Yeah, and then that happens, I, and especially in this region, a lot of people come here for Tennessee Tech, and then they just kind of fall in love with the area. And so, um, and what did you go to school for? And you, I mean, you had, you were definitely a powerful CEO kind of um, <laughs> in, in in a past life. So, so if I think back to um, what I wanted to be when I grew up, and when I was young, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Which makes sense, the medical background. Yes, you know, you know, you know raised by a, a, a doctor. Um, when I was a young teenager, I actually wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I wanted to go into the Navy because it was the only branch of the armed forces at the time allowing women to fly jets. And then I decided at 16 years old that I was going to be a lawyer and did not reconsider that decision until my first week of law school. When I kind of looked around and thought, so I went straight through college and right into law school and I got to the first week of law school and I'm like, I'd had quite a bit of um, personal kind of family change um, in between the years of 16 and 21. And I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm the same person that I was when I was 16 and decided to be a lawyer. But at this point, I had a political science and sociology degree, and you can't really do anything with those degrees unless you want to be a professor or go to law school. And so I was like, well, if I can't think of anything I want to do more than law, the education definitely is not going to hurt me. I have no idea what else I would do. So I'm just going to stay here until I find some other passion or purpose that that feels like I, I need to make a shift. So I 
went through law school, um, had some experiences there that I really, really loved. And, but on the other hand, had a really difficult time convincing any law firms that I really, really wanted to be a lawyer because you didn't, it wasn't in you. It wasn't in me. It just wasn't. I mean, there were parts of the law that I really loved and parts of it that I just did not enjoy at all. And so I started, um, networking with the community that had built in my seven years at the university of Tennessee Mm And ended up at a startup property management firm um, with a bunch of other former lawyers who were doing commercial real estate development. And that my first career was 10 years at that firm. And I reorged myself out of a job in the summer of 2008, right before the bottom dropped out of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, spent six months after that trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that was really the first time that I had considered what do I want from my life separate from what am I trying to do to perform in order to earn the respect and appreciation of the people around me. And meet the expectations of what. Yes. And whether they're not, I think that as women, um, sometimes they're not actually expectations that others have of us. They're expectations we think others have of That's us. That's true. There are expectations we've kind of imputed onto ourselves. Yes. Um, that may or may not, I mean, to your point, may or may not actually be living in the minds of, of the people around us. In case you're just joining in, we're listening to Powered by Her in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center. I have Booth Andrews, public speaker um, on mental health. And so you you are, find yourself in 2008, okay, you know, that that career has passed. Now what do I do? And where, where How do I reevaluate? Right. And so I went through a vision board process. Um using um, a couple of different resources, but one, there's a book, um, The Complete Vision Board uh, Book or Guide, I think, by a man by the name of John Osaroff, and spent about six months trying to figure out what I cared about. And what I figured out that I cared about was helping individuals and organizations reach their full potential. About the same time I figured that out, an opportunity um, came across my desk, so to speak, uh, to be a nonprofit CEO. And I ended up applying for that job and getting that job and was um, the CEO of a regional regional nonprofit uh, for six years. And I mean, as a, as the jobs you've described to me as a kid, you always, they're very powerful jobs. You've always felt that that was your calling is to be in charge, be the leader, be, I hate to kind of in that man's world, right? Well, actually, I didn't until I got to college. And so I I definitely had a performance drive. Like I I have, you know, a a healthy dose of ambition. I want to do well. Um, I want to. And I will say part of what drove me forward when I look at my life in hindsight, part of what drove me forward, frankly, was fear of never being enough. So I was, you know, constantly propelled forward by Am I doing enough? Am I earning my right to be valued and respected and You're gonna loved? You're going to make me tear up here. I just, you hit so close to home. <laughs> and I'm sure with so many women entrepreneurs, that's, that's what we feel, you know, yes. you know? Yeah. So this, I think this applies to entrepreneurs and also actually to endurance athletes, which is where I first heard it. Endurance athletes are either running from something or towards something. But I think many of us are running from something, a fear that 
if we don't continue to prove ourselves over and over and over again that somehow we're not we don't deserve to take up space and we don't deserve to be um, treated with unconditional love and respect and kindness. And so we're constantly trying to earn our spot and our space. When I got to college, I joined a sorority because my sisters had done a sorority, but I am actually a hardcore introvert. And so I end up at, um, I think, pledge night in a room full of screaming girls. And I'm like, what? The woo girls, right? What woo! have I done? <laughs> like, what, what, what was it? What, what just happened? And somewhere between that night and our pledge retreat, my pledge trainer at the time said to me, we think you can be a leader. And when I think about that story in hindsight, like I have no idea why she said that. Um, but I ended up being the pledge class president. So I've joked, you know, if nothing else, they needed somebody to be the pledge class president. And I, you know, she said, we think you can be a leader. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And so it was actually in college that I, it was really the first time anybody had ever said that to me. And at the time in my life, as I said, I went through a lot of personal change and transition and some really, really hard stuff in my late teenage years. And so I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And it was like I found my place and I was able to, and people listened and they respected what I brought to the table. And so part of what propelled me forward for many, many years was this, oh, well, okay, I'm supposed to be a leader and this is what I think a leader looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to embody that person, um, which Having a clearly defined and articulated purpose is really, it's a critical element of our ability to stay well, um, but it's not the only element. So while it's a critical element of well-being by itself, and I think women, so, so the statistics say that women are more susceptible to burnout mm -hmm. than men. And there are a number of reasons for that. People in helping professions are more susceptible to burnout. So we think about teachers and social workers, um, also lawyers and medical professionals. But there is something about the way women interact with the world that we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders all the time. And like we're supposed to save everyone and help everyone except for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that somehow we're just supposed to be able to do that forever like can in perpetuity right there okay. and you said supposed to yes. multiple times <laughs> um one of my favorite shows has um the quote of why do we should all over ourselves yes yes and so um and supposed to and 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 some of these things are self-imposed right they are they um, are and so we're going to get back to your story here okay so you are now as a ceo yes um of a nonprofit, a regional nonprofit, mm -hmm. and so you are and you have three kids at the time i had two when i became a ceo and about six months after becoming a ceo i got pregnant with my third child which was not um which was a, a a large weight on you. Oh, absolutely. I spent my entire pregnancy trying to figure out how I was going to survive. Which is, you know, <laughs> and, and that is something that I think, again, as women, it's okay to feel that way. Because I think as women, if you don't do backflips when you find out you're pregnant, um, 
there's something wrong with you. It, it, and that doesn't make you less of a mom or more of a mom or none. It's just okay. I remember when they came in, um, when I went to the doctor to confirm the pregnancy and they came in and they confirmed I was pregnant and she looked at me and she said, you don't seem excited. And I said, I want this child so much and I have no idea what I'm going to do with a third child. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, at that point really was the moment at which I, I realized that my house of cards was not on a strong foundation. Like I was spinning so many plates so hard and so fast and I didn't have any wiggle room. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any reserve. Even the systems and structures I had around me were kind of built upon this my being a superhero and my being incredibly independent and incredibly, um, you know, self-motivated and high performing. And really when I found out I was pregnant with my son was that first inclination of, oh gosh, like, I don't know how to add anything else. Uh And so, um, and you did, so you added added a child. So you're, um, you know, a CEO, running a nonprofit, making great money. Yes. Um, Primary wage earner. You know, running, you know, running a family, running an organization. Um, And I I mean, there's, if you listen to Booth speak at some other time, her story is amazing. But um, so at some point, the house of cards falls down. Yes. So the next piece, um, and and I will say this, when I look in hindsight on my life, there were many more signs and signals that I was living in a way that was completely unsustainable um, because I was not taking care of myself in the way that I needed to. I think one thing to me, and you, you said you you didn't have the surrounding support, yep. and that's to me a really big sign um, within myself is that I know um, the things that I put in my, my mind um, visually, through my listening, through reading. that really affects things. And so I have quotes on my bathroom mirror that are just, you know, be good, (laughs) trust the journey, love others, choose joy, where I think people are like, that's a little much. And it's like, but, but it's not easy. Inputs matter, right? And yes. And it's not easy to be happy and it's not easy. It's a choice to choose to live life to the fullest and, and not just sit where you are and, and you can, surround yourself with the good things or you can surround yourself with the bad and and it's a choice to do those things right right so okay go ahead so 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 I have my son and he's about six months old and um, my father had actually passed away several years before but when my son was six months old my mother's cancer she had actually had cancer for more than a decade but her cancer um, mutated into a much more aggressive form So at six months old, I found out that it wasn't a question of if my mother was going to die of cancer, but when. And I spent the next year running up and down the road between Knoxville and Nashville because that's where she was being treated. And that's where um, the rest of my family is. So, again, taking care of more other people, probably putting yourself dead last. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Running up and down the road, going to see my mom. And then as soon as I get home, I've got three kids for those that are and not, a nonprofit. <laughs> for those that are not in Tennessee, up the road is um, 
not two hours and 45 minutes one way she's very joking about that um (laughs) it's pretty much across half the state of tennessee so um and no matter where i was i felt like i was supposed to be somewhere else mm -hmm. um so i was uh, and and i didn't actually well no i won't it doesn't (laughs) doesn't matter it's not relevant i mean it is but so at the time when i realized i was going to lose my mom um that for me was a significant blow because when we think about our support structures, my mom was the only person I showed my vulnerability to. She was the person when I, that I called when I got overwhelmed, when I felt like I just couldn't do it anymore, when I couldn't find my way out of you know the pile of things. Um, and she was the one who reminded me you know, who I was, that I was part of something bigger than myself, that I had, you know, um, a spiritual ally out there, you know, guiding me and helping me. And she would kind of talk me off the ledge. And so I was using my mom as my lifeline. So when I lost her, um, I actually, I don't say losing my mom was the straw that broke the camel's back, although it was close. What actually broke the camel's back was about three months after I lost my mom, we had seven raccoons in our attic. And at this point, I'm in a small house with three kids, and there's seven raccoons in my attic, and there were some financial challenges happening. And these are literal raccoons. Literal. <laughs> this like, is not a um, Right. <laughs> we had had these raccoons in our backyard for years, and they lived in one of our trees. Well, for whatever reason, Mama Raccoon decided to have her babies in our attic, and I, I don't actually know how she got into the attic. Um, so we have seven raccoons in our attic. We're experiencing some financial stress because of my husband's business, and I that was it. Like it was, it was the last piece. I, it, at that point, the, the house of cards just went and all the air came out. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Powered by Her in the Hints in Oakley Podcast Center. I'm Tiffany Anton from the Biz Foundry and I have Booth Andrews in um, today. And so top of the world, CEO and stuff is starting to crack and you're, yes. st- you're starting to realize things are cracking. So raccoons are in the house. <laughs> the raccoons are in the attic. And I, and let me just say you, you, you had a therapist. Not yet. Okay. okay. Not yet. Okay. So one of the other things that happened when my mother, literally when her diagnosis changed and again, and I didn't realize what was happening at the time, but now I understand I started having anxiety attacks. I'd never had them before, so I didn't know what they were. Um, so I'd been having anxiety and I'd been running on adrenaline for years. I mean, at this point, truly I'd been running on adrenaline for years. Um, I was not actually able to sleep through the night before I had my son because I was on bed rest for about eight weeks and I had to take medicine around the clock to try to manage, um, the preterm contractions. Um, and so I was, I'd been running on adrenaline, I'd been running on anxiety and then, the raccoons come into the attic, and shortly after that, the depression hit. And how old is your son at this point? He was six months. No, after my mom passed, so he's about eighteen months old. Okay, so it's not this. This is not postpartum. No, um, anymore. This is just all out depression. Yeah, just full on. Mm-hmm. And I started having feelings, and that I, and thoughts that I had not had since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just to give you a context for, for how much, again, in hindsight, I was partially 
partially I didn't understand what was happening, and partly I think it was an absolute denial about what was happening. So the same day I started taking antidepressants, I completed an Olympic distance triathlon. Um, so just to give you an idea of how far how far I was continuing to push myself. So I've got you know three children. I'm a CEO. I've lost my mom, and I'm doing triathlons. And your marriage is not in a great place at this point either. At this point, the tension in the marriage is starting to build. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of you know when you when your response to feeling unsupported in your marriage is to push the other person out and say, "Fine, I'm just going to do it myself." Over a period of years, that definitely takes a toll on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started on antidepressants. The first antidepressant I went on did not work. Um, so a couple of months later, I'm in my house. I've just got my son with me. I don't remember um, where my husband and, and daughters were at the time. And I'm literally looking at my life insurance policies to see if they will pay in the event I decide to take my own life. And so I text um, the only person I knew who to text because, as I said, I was not showing my underbelly to anyone and just said, I don't think the antidepressants are working. Um, Found and at some point, I think I had lunch with another a friend who had known me really well over the prior probably 10 years. And I think even he encouraged me to get some help. Um, So I found someone who specializes in psychiatric medications and um, started on a different antidepressant in October of 2012, all the while expecting myself to show up exactly the same way at the same level with the same level of leadership and perfectionism. And I was driving cultural and organizational transformation in my organization And I continued to push the envelope really until the winter of 2014 and spring of 2015. And everybody around you thinks, wow, Booth's got it all together. I got to I got to raise myself to her standards. Absolutely. I got to raise myself to look good. And and you probably I, I mean, what I know of you, it's not like you were, you know, had unreasonable expectations of people, but you were this example of a woman that had it all and could do it all. I, and so, yes, I've had many people. And even during that time, people were like, I don't know how you do it all. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it all either. And part of me is ha, going, ha, 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 ha. and part of me is going, it's because I'm a freaking superhero. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know how I got this way, but I've mm-hmm. earned it. Yeah. There was an element of, with all of the things that I had lived through in my life, which is, a whole nother story that I had earned it, mm-hmm. that I had earned the right to essentially be bulletproof. Mm-hmm. But underneath all of that, I was crumbling. I mean, did and did you know you were crumbling somewhat? Because I think the summer that I met you where I was proud, I mean, there was a lot of crumbling. I knew deep down I was crumbling, but the whole world around me I mean I was building my career at that time yeah. and people were like wow you're 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 you know you're you're just doing so great the social media says you're doing great and it's like right. do you know how often I cry myself to sleep you know so did you know you were crumbling when I started to struggle with my mental health yeah I was terrified um I did not I had used my brain as my primary survival tool for most of my life I mean, that was that was the part of me that I relied on to deliver and I could trust it 100 percent. And the very idea 
of not being in charge of what was happening in my brain. That was part of what made me um, consider suicide was like, I really truly believed what good am I? What good am I going to be to anyone else if I'm mentally ill? Uh And so part of me knew I was coming apart and part of me was not willing to consider the potential consequences of that. And so I kept, you know, I did start therapy. I was going to therapy every week. I was taking my medication like I was supposed to. But on the other hand, I was doing just enough to keep myself off the ledge. Like, and, and when I, you know, I would find myself at the ledge on a regular basis. I would, you know, rest enough or, or get enough of a reprieve to like kind of pick myself up, pull myself up by my bootstraps and go again. And not to, I'm not going to glaze over this, but I do know that you've done some public speaking and people can probably find that on your website. Yes. Um, So you towed the line, you decided you had one day that it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to, you went and talked to your therapist. Your therapist said your children will never get over this. Oh yeah. Um, and so you were like, okay, I'm going to make some changes. So you, you leave your job, a CEO job. Yes. Yes. So it was actually about, it took another six months for me to leave my job. Um, and I was traveling, um, for a national conference and while I was traveling was kind of, you know, when you get out of the, the, you know, the Petri dish that you're in, or you get out of the space that you're in, sometimes it's easier to see things you can't see. And I just realized how exhausted and depleted I was. And there had been a, a number of years where my work was, that was still that it was still my safe place. It was my place. I could, I knew I could perform. I knew I was doing a good job believed so passionately about, you know, in, in what I was doing and it really helped carry me forward probably beyond when I should have stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got, but it was that weekend where I was like, I'm not, there's no joy here anymore either. And, and I knew that it was time to make a change. Um, so my, I left my CEO role and my divorce was finalized in the same week in October of 2015. Which, you know, sounds real heavy and real painful, but maybe looking back, um, it was probably a good time to pivot kind of everything all <laughs> in one time, right? Yeah. Like a little bit. <laughs> there, you know, when I work with other people and organizations, I really encourage, um, you know, incremental change, incremental sustainable change. In my own life, it tends to be like 15 grenades go off all at once. And then we kind of walk out of the wreckage and figure out what we're going to do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it's, it's hard to take your own medicine sometimes. Right? Oh, absolutely. So, um, so at that point, and, and, and I've, I have heard you speak before. And so um, your advice when you're kind of, you cannot do anything more is what you have two pieces two things that you have to do uh sleep uh-huh um so yeah so uh, so after I left my role um I ended up actually having about a six-month PTSD episode um and that was when I hit ground zero it was actually the summer of 2016 where I realized that I was still 
after four years, there was a part of me that was fighting what was true. Um, I was still holding on to this sense of control about what was happening. And I was driving home after dropping the kids off at school. And this little voice said to me, um, and the darkness said to me, I will not let you go until you stop trying to get away. And I was like, okay, I surrender. Like I'm done fighting. I can't, I mean, I was at this point, I am beyond exhausted. Um, If anyone has, you know, even anxiety or trauma symptoms, um, what it does to you physiologically is just incredible. Um, And I was completely exhausted. And so I really started from, okay, no more messages, no more shoulds, Mm -hmm. no more expectations about what I think I'm supposed to be able to do or what I think anybody else thinks I'm supposed to be able to do. The first thing I'm going to do is try to get nine hours of sleep. Because that, at the time, was what my body required. And then, once I sleep, if I have any energy, which some days I didn't, um, but if I have any energy, I'm going to try to drink some water. And if I get up and I've gotten my sleep and I've tried to drink water or and I've, and I've gotten some water and I have a little extra energy, I'm going to try to eat something. And I'm not going to be worried about whether it's um, organic or vegetables, I'm literally going to try to get calories in my body. And even now, so five years later, when I start to find myself feeling frayed around the edges, and I'm really, I'm a whole lot better at paying attention to the fraying around the edges and not waiting until I've literally run myself into the brick wall. um, That's where I go. I go back to sleep. I get water and I try to make sure I'm eating. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of all that, you, and I feel like we have a, a lot of single moms that are yeah. entrepreneurs. Um, and so you decide you're going to create something Yep. and you're probably like, not sure. What am I doing? What am I going to create? How am I going to do this? And so tell me about the Booth Andrews company. Okay. So As I started to finally heal, which was really late 2016, early 2017, I remember I had coffee with someone who used to work with me and I said, if if I have only gone through this for my own efficacy, I'm not sure I would have signed up for it. There's there has to be a way that I can take this experience and help other people. Um, It took another mm, six months to at least say, okay, I'm going to create something. And at the time that I created the company, or at least started kind of really, frankly, building a brand around it, I knew I wanted to do something around mental health and leadership. And I talked to a number of people about it, and they're all like, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to talk about work-life balance? And I'm like, no, I want to talk about mental health, which is, you know, there's still a lot of stigma around mental health. And the reality is we all have mental health just like we have physical health, and it is on a spectrum, just like physical health is on a spectrum. Um, but at the time I started you know, trying to create this business, I, I really couldn't find a lot of businesses talking about mental health in the way that I wanted to talk about it. Um, and the really the start of the business was I told my story, what I call my crash and burn story, which you can find on my website and also on my podcast, 
but I told it at the first ever Let Her Speak event. Um, and Let Her Speak is a, a women's focused organization founded by Catherine Forth. But the first time I ever told my story there was um, in the spring of 2017. And that is really where the Booth Andrews Company was born. And and so you kind of, and again, it's, okay, well, I got to make money. I have to support my family. <laughs> I, you know, this is worthwhile, but I have to figure out how to make this a company yes. and, and do this. Um, and so you've kind of, cr- you've created podcasts and websites and um, are you planning on writing a book? Yes. Oh. I'm going to start working on a book next year. Yeah. I just said that out loud in public. So that's what I do to myself to make, to hold myself accountable. Yes. Um, and, and I want to say something about entrepreneurship because for all of the women out there who are trying to figure out how they're supposed to get it all done right now, you're not supposed to get it all done right now. So, you know, my idea was created for the business in 2017 in the fall of 2017, my ex-husband became critically ill for about six months and I had the children nonstop. Um, the business has had its fits and starts. When it first started, really, it was I, com- I committed to recording a podcast episode every other week. And that was the business at the very beginning. Um, then I had the opportunity to start sharing my story in public and having the opportunity to work with both individuals and companies as a result of sharing that story and helping them create programs. Um, but it has been an incremental process, never as far along as I would like for it to be. Um, and at the same time, you know, sometimes you just get up every single day and you're like, okay. And, and I've had multiple side hustles through all of this. I mean, some of the work that I do is on a volunteer basis because I care about women entrepreneurs and I care about, you know, the, the, um, nonprofit space very much. And some of the work that I have done has been because I need to generate revenue. Right. And, Somewhere there are a lot of people out there that make it look like you start a business and in 30 days or 60 days or 90 days you're making money. That's generally not how it works. So this my business really started to, you know, in 2017, it was literally just recording the podcast. In 2018 and 2019, I started adding, you know, paid speaking engagements and and consulting. You did a women's retreat. Correct. Or you were part of a I was part retreat. of a women's retreat, yeah. but I did not. That was not the founder of that. But you yeah, you helped promote it and you were part of it. Yes. And yeah. So. Yeah. So and I've done a lot of, you know, a lot of things for free just to get my name out there, just to start to build a community of people who are having these conversations. And so I just for for women entrepreneurs in particular, Be kind to yourselves and be gentle and trust, you know, if you're getting up every day and thinking, okay, what is one thing I can do today to try to move the needle? And there's even going to be days where you don't get anything done that's moving the needle on your business. Because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I have three children. We had eight doctor's appointments and dentist appointments among the four of us in a week's time. (laughs) And that's life, right? Mm -hmm. Life happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also tend to believe that if we're kind of holding that intention of the impact we want to have in the world and we're taking care of ourselves. So I'm a big fan of Kate Northrup and her book, Do Less, um, which came out in the spring of 2019. And it's all about being a female entrepreneur with and, and being successful without running yourself ragged. Well, and I want to say that 
I want to say you said some days that you won't move the needle. I'm going to say you you will move the needle, just maybe not in a way that others see or I love that. that yes. you might not give yourself the credit for. So um, in all honesty, we tried to have this um, recording a month ago and literally you're driving out here and I test positive for COVID. Yep. Um, it felt like just a huge punch to me. I, you know, I'm calling you, I'm calling other people to cancel all this stuff and I have to go home and rest and take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a good lesson of forgiveness for myself. And the truth about that is, I love you saying this and I love, and, and yes, moving the needle is not always visible. And we rarely give ourselves the credit we deserve for whatever it is we have accomplished. I turned around, as, as excited as I was to come here, I turned around and went home and laid down on the couch and passed out for three hours. Because my oldest daughter had torn all of the ligaments in her ankle on September 21st and had surgery on the 28th. And then there were a number of other things that kind of happened in her world. And I was absolutely exhausted. And so as much as I hated turning around, my body needed that three hours that mm-hmm. you gave me, mm-hmm. that COVID gave me. Yeah, yes, yeah, which is the world we live in right now. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Powered by Her in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center. I Booth Andrews in today. Um, so one thing I want to ask, where's Booth? You're the literally the only Booth that I ever know. <laughs> it's such a, it is a powerful name to me. So, so tell me about. So um, I joke with people that my mother had four children in five years and that by the time I was born, she must have run out of names because she <laughs> asked a family friend what he would name a little girl. And they ended up naming me Shelly Booth. And I've always gone by Booth my entire life. So there actually is a Booth in Nashville um, who was not named after me personally, but her parents heard the name and, and really liked it. But when I think about when I thought about trying to create a name for my company, I actually sat in a, a CLE seminar one day, you know, looking at Greek and Latin words and trying to come up with some word that would reflect what I was trying to do. And um, I finally just landed on, OK, you have a really unusual memorable name Mm -hmm. just use your name yeah you are who you are own it (laughs) yeah so um let how can people find more about you and more about what you do you have a podcast yes so you can find me at boothandrews.com um you can find links to my blog and my podcast there the podcast um, is also available on, on itunes spotify amazon music all the places it's called freedom from empty and um, starting toward the end of this week, if you if you wander by my website, I'm actually going to have an opt in for the wait list for my first online program. So I'm creating a program called the six steps to stress recovery and burnout prevention. Uh, it's a six module self-directed online program that you will be able to 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 access. And it really takes you through the steps that I now use um, really every day of my life in various ways to, um, they're the steps I use to heal. And they're also the steps that I use to stay well. 
and I've used them as much, if not more than ever before, as we have navigated this year of uncertainty. Of craziness. Yeah. 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 So um, definitely go check out Booth, her website, her um, social media, listen to her podcast. Oh, that's true. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you'll probably fangirl a little bit yourself. Um, now I'm lucky enough to be able to spend time with you and, and email you back and forth. And that it, it's not um, it, maybe it's not as maybe it's still weird for you. But <laughs> um, I appreciate you being here. And I really think as women, especially women who listen to this podcast, to really take the time and make sure that you're taking care of yourselves as much as you're taking care of your business if you want the longevity in your business that you absolutely that most people do. So absolutely. It's very important. Thank you so much for having me today. You've been listening to Powered by Her. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hints and Oakley Podcast Center. 